Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars about game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers at Metatopia 2023. Episode 366, Teaching How to GM. Presented by Bill White and Avery Rosen. So I guess uh, I guess we'll get started. I am super excited uh, to see so many people here. There were only five tickets sold, and one of them was my brother. So I was pretty sure the room would be empty. But I'm glad that people are are, are interested in uh, in this idea, right? Teaching people how to GM is that even a thing? How can you even do it? And uh, so. My co-panelist is Avery Rosen, the head of Bringing Fire, and so I'm Bill White, a professor of communication arts and sciences at um, oh, thank you at Penn State Altoona, uh, and one of my research interests is tabletop role-playing games, which is you know a thing that I study uh, from the perspective of what's going on at, uh, at how is it communication, right? What sort of communication processes are involved in role-playing games? But my other job, my side hustle these days is head of education for Bringing Fire, because uh, Bringing Fire right, is interested in creating software tools for, for GMs, and so the idea of figuring out what GMs want and how GM works is of interest to Avery and, and, his, and his team. And one of the things that uh, we did then was run workshops at Gen Con uh, last year, uh, earlier this year, I guess, um, trying to teach people how to GM. And I, so I'm trying to bring a scholarly lens to that and try to make sense of that and understand what's involved, like what's going on. And so uh, we'll just dive in, right? And so I just want to give a little bit of scholarship, a little, little bit of scholarly stuff just to help me wrap my head around it and because I have to talk about it in a couple of weeks. Uh, and then we'll talk about what we did and maybe how we could do it better or even if uh, like, like, you know, what gives us the right or the nerve to try to teach people how to GM, right? Like we say critical seminar, I want to take that seriously. So I'm, I'm prepared for that kind of conversation. Uh, so how do people learn to be GMs? Well, well, I'm thinking about it, right? You, you don't go to school to be a GM, right? It's social learning. And that social learning takes place with people in contact with other people, watching people play. And if you read, right, accounts of people learning to play, that's the sort of thing that emerges. Uh, they, they watch their GM and they do what they've seen and then they try it themselves and as problems emerge they figure out how to solve those problems for themselves um, using a variety of strategies. Maybe they learn to fudge the dice for themselves, right? They learn, that's something they learn. The other way that people learn, the other kind of social learning is the, via their engagement with texts. The game texts themselves, right? The, the, the rules of the game as well as what uh, some scholars call paratexts, the texts that surround other texts, right? So that includes what might be on the back cover uh, um, or otherwise associated, you know, bundled with the text or uh, more broadly reviews, commentary, things of, of, of that sort. And, and increasingly, I think, 
today, you can see like actual play videos are a kind of paratext that includes also the parasocial, right? The, the we think, like you watch people play and you think they're, they're your friends. And so there's, there's something interesting going on there, but it's, it's all a kind of social learning. Uh, this quote from Gary Gygax is just there for support to be like, oh yeah, it's play. It's through the act of play. And it's written in Gary's traditionally um, verbose and prolix style. So thank you, Brother Gary. Right? That's what that's it. Uh, so, um, so, so just driving along with that, this, this graph, this diagram is an attempt to represent the phenomenology of role playing, where phenomenology is, is, it just means what it's like inside someone's head, right? What's going on in people's head. And so you've got the player, or maybe there's some central role, the player, the GM, the designer, something like that. And I, I, I could talk about some of the theoretical sources, like where each of these things come from. I, I won't do that very much, right? But you know, the notion that there are levels of authorship and levels of audienceship, player, GM, designer. Uh, Jessica Hammer wrote a piece about that many years ago. And so this is sort of an attempt to cobble together all these different ways of thinking about the phenomenology of role playing. But that same interaction is of interest, right? The player, GM or designer connected to the text, playing, you know, by saying things, and there's something going on in their head as they play with other players, but they're located within frameworks like that are multiplex, that are different. And, and so the box around the players and attempt to represent all of those different frames or frameworks, right? The idea that you know, you've got uh, you know, the play group, that is the immediate people that you play with, as well as the scene taken to mean in this case, the uh, broader social network oriented around play, right? So Metatopia is a scene, right? We don't play together all the time, but we're located in the same sort of social network talking about play and thinking about play. Um, and so uh, the, the session and the campaign are, are localized sort of units of play or moments of play where, where play occurs and, and can be the, uh, where you're talking about it, but also the engagement of texts, which are ergodic, right? That is, you read them by playing them. Right? So like the I Ching is an ergodic text. You, you really only play it, you, correction, you really can only read it or understand it by doing the things that you do with it. Similarly, a role-playing game is ergodic because like if you're just reading it without playing it, you're not getting the full experience of the text. Procedural and algorithmic uh, are also just terms referring to that very embodied or enacted way that we engage with game text. Anyway, so. How do we make sense of that? And um, I think one of the ways that we do that is by acknowledging that being a GM feels different from being a player. Uh, I think that that's one of the things that emerges from thinking about, okay, what's going on in people's head? And, and it may be, right, and this is, again, uh, I don't want, I want to try to articulate this because it will help me. Uh, uh, so I'll just do it a little bit, this idea that on the one hand you've got the idea that of communities of practice is a fairly common idea in learning theory, uh, in talking about social learning, the idea that people learn how to do things in, in workplaces and places like that. Um, and, but it's oriented around labor, around doing the job and getting learning on the job, which is what the experience of GMing often feels like. And, and you'll hear that in how people talk about it. Oh, it's work. 
oh, I work, you know, it's hard work to be the GM. Maybe it's a labor of love, but it's labor, right? Versus the experience of play, uh, and so the notion of communities of play is, a, is, again, another term of art that's intended to encompass the idea that, well, play is different from work, and so communities of play or communities that are, org are organized around play uh, have a different sort of sensibility, and that's something I'm still sort of engaging with or trying to figure out, um, but I, just, I, I know that there's a line of investigation there, something to think about, communities of play. And so maybe, like, the, the one thing that I, I do think is true is that they're both going on, right? They're both play and practice in the sense of, you know, that pragmatic sort of, sort of way are both occurring. So maybe it's, it's, this is a place where we can see uh, the way that role-playing games are a, a culture, a participatory culture, and maybe we can begin to think about, well, what does it mean to be a, a community of participation? Right? And so I'm not sure exactly what that means, but it's something that I think is worth thinking about. Uh, so um, this, this, bullet, this block here of text, uh, I mean, the notion of reification and identification may deserve some attention. Just the idea that, okay, you're producing things, material things, that's reification, we're creating things, but we're also identifying, right? We're creating social things. I am this kind of player. I'm an indie gamer. Right, is a kind of identification. And so these things are happening as a result of this participation in this community. And so, uh, so there's all of this going on, which means that maybe, and I, I know, I, two slides ago I talked about the frames in which play was operating. And so in a way, a GM, one of the things they're called upon to do is be a navigator of those frames because they guide people through, they're doing sort of this, this leadership at the table and figuring out how to do that and learning how to do that. And the notion of, um, there's, a, there's a, a long line going back to the 80s of applying sociological frame theory to role playing games where, where and, and let me just ask you, because um, I'm not sure the audience, uh, Irving Goffman, how many of you have heard of Irving Goffman and his work? Really if you if you if you went to college, you probably right. You know, you probably sort of anyway. I have to Google. Right, but so, but so so Goffman was interested in frame in how people presented themselves in social settings, right? And the idea is that people navigate that, they they negotiate that, they present themselves in a particular way, they accept others or challenge others in a particular way, and it all works together to create people's face and line uh, in, in a way that you can recognize as um, uh, social solidarity, there's people recognizing each other's uh, social position uh, or not, right? And, and so when you think about role-playing games, it's frames all the way down, right? Because um, there are different uh, positions that people are taking in multiple different ways or angles, and uh, uh, so, so, so Fine starts it off by saying, well, you know, there's the person in the social world, there's the player of the game, and there's the character in the fiction, right? And those are all, you're doing all three of those things at once, or actually you're sliding between frames depending upon what it is that you're trying to accomplish in the social setting. Uh, and then some of these others, McKay 
at the beginning of the 21st century, added, uh, he used theories from drama to add additional levels to recognize that, oh, there's interaction occurring, and so people are telling stories as well as talking to specific others, including, hey, oh, I'm talking to you, the person, versus I'm talking to you, the character. Those are different levels of address. Um, Jennifer Grueling cover, uh, rhetorician to something uh, else that's interesting, where she says, okay, there's, there's an actual world that's social. There's a textual actual world that I think the people in this room would call a shared imaginary space, right? Or shared imagined space, right? The idea that there's this, there's this fictional thing that's being created as a result of play. Uh, and then, you know, I've even uh, done stuff like that where I looked at a moment of play where the players were like, when I said, when, when they asked, oh, who's saying this? I said, oh, I'm the narrator. And that caused 10 minutes of discussion about how that could possibly, like, where's that voice coming from? What, what's, what's happening, right? And so, 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 but the idea that, right, a GM is a navigator of frames, right, that it's a skill means, well, maybe, maybe we can teach them, right? Maybe we can teach it. Maybe we can teach that act or that process. Uh, and so that's what my brother and I did uh, in 2022 uh, uh, at Gen Con. We went, we ran a couple of workshops where we tried to get people to design a dungeon and then we put them, this was what we were excited about, putting them in the hot seat and rotating through the act of GMing so that uh, they could practice and that we could watch and give them feedback. And uh, Mel, that was a good time, wasn't it? Yeah, that was great. Right? I, we, we, think, we think it worked pretty good. Um, so then we met Avery, and he was like, oh, let's do that. Let's do that even bigger. Uh, let's try to get more people in the room. And uh, so last year at Gen Con, we did. Uh, and I want to give Avery a couple of minutes to talk about. Should I come up to like Yeah, please. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right on. OK, so. I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but no, I love it. Love it. Love it. I'm Avery, uh, CEO of Bring Fire. Uh, Bring Fire is building. Uh, software for game masters and has big ambitions of like revolutionizing how amazing technology can be for actual like tactile role-playing gaming not like going down the rabbit hole of video gaming etc um, but that's like that was a dream that I uh, started moving on in 2021 and uh, and what I what I did to start that was I just spoke to hundreds of GMs right um, I formally interviewed like a lot of them under recorded like you know conditions and took notes but i also just like everywhere i went i'm just like hey are you gm your gm what do you show me your notes show me how you're doing it like what are you doing what do you what do you consider your job um and uh i wasn't specifically looking for how they learned to do that job um uh, but i did wind up coming away with a few insights that i wasn't especially immediately after um like what i was really after is like you know what, what's the software if i'm going to build the thing to be the be-all, end-all, like, creative tool for game masters to, like, write their fiction and, like, manage their game stuff and everything. Uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that it was flexible, it was adapt. I learned a lot of interesting things, love to talk about that stuff, but I also noticed, uh, adjacent to the three GMs in a row that I might be talking to at the after party after an actual play or something like that, another person standing there being like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And, it's, and so I, I really started digging in there. And I was like, oh, OK, why aren't you? And I had, OK, and like also a little bit of back, more background to set up the context for me in this moment is that 
I had actually had not been like gaming at all since between like 13 and well really I had my first actual gameplay experience probably in my 20s real gameplay experience and then like it was on a long hiatus and finally I met a few people and they like it was like a big renaissance and I immediately started devouring uh, sort of like the like the available GM advice. This is seven, eight years ago, maybe, or something like that. And I was on YouTube, and I was looking up, like, how do you do this? Uh, the friend who showed me, like, who brought me back in, showed me one way, but he, didn't, he wasn't like, this is how you GM. He was just, like, GMing, right? And, of course, immediately I got sucked into the discourse of, like, uh... You know, you know, there used to be one way of GMing, there wasn't. But like now, there's like a much, uh, you know, I could tell that the that the that the community was growing, and new ways of practicing were becoming accepted. And there was a lot of a, there was kind of a schism a little bit uh, with some old guard, new guard stuff going on. And so, I was taking in a lot of uh, a lot of um, a lot of my own like how my like learning uh, my. Uh, Co-founder and CTO Josh passed off um, Robin Law's rules of good game mastering to me. That was like tr truly eye-opening. I came to uh, Dexcon and uh, immediately my horizons were super broadened simply by entering the community, right? Like I was running, I was like, I was reintroduced to gaming through Pathfinder, first edition. Um, I got super psyched about second edition. Trad game was literally the only thing that I knew about. Um, There's a whole like, way that that interacts with how I learned to game master, but I also started to notice the contrast between my approach sort of into game mastering and these people that I would run into, these sort of like the odd wheel that's like, no, I want to, but uh, you know, I'm not ready. I'm like, why aren't you ready? Well, they, and they'd show me like their notes or whatever, like this is my ideas. I'm like, you're, you know more than I did. Like you, you're, you're, you're ready for this. It's not a, you know. So I started to notice that this was a, that this was a contingent. And after 18 months of doing this, um, as about when like Brennan and I were talking about an idea for, hey Brennan, <laughs> um, were uh, we were talking about something that Bring Fire could do at Gen Con in a while to do to like outreach, community build, etc. Like something appropriate on mission like on, uh, you know, on brand. And, uh, and we bat around a few ideas and this contingent percolated to the surface for me. I'm like, these people will never run a game. They are, there is no advice that can get them to run a game. If, and I formed this sort of like hypothesis, like if you see someone who's, who talks about they wanna run a game, uh, for six months and they're not running a game, they're never gonna run a game. There's no advice, there's no words, there's no example, there's nothing that you can do. There's, they will never run a game unless they get coached. They, if you create a special space for them to sort of feel safe and to feel like they're, like they're checked up on and that they don't, and they're, like the stakes are low and everything, that's the one way these people who have essentially stage fright could be brought, you know, Forward, right, so that was something that I, and that <laughs> led me to Bill, because Brennan knew some guy who had already run a kind of a workshop that was a hands-on actual, like, right. right. So uh, Bill and Mel had done that uh, dungeon crawl, uh, the dungeon crawl workshop, right. workshop, right? And uh, and and we met at uh, PAX Unplugged, and I was like, I want to do this thing, and I want to do it big. I want to like, this is a 
contingent of people that need to be that need to be helped. We, you know, it's our it's our calling. Yes. Um, so, uh, so I also noticed uh, a lot of stuff about uh, about how they're learning. But let's that's I think I'm sort of I brought yeah. us up to this. Yeah, kind of and, and so yeah. And, and, and one of the things that you just said is, is really important because it's it's yeah the notion of it needs to be hands on right for especially for the contingent that that we're interested in right this idea yep. and the one thing that I that I want to mention is that okay so so the thing that we did right the four hour workshop three parts which map onto something that Avery discovered when he was talking to GMs is oh what are the three things that all GMs do all the different GMs that I've talked to well they author content they prep for their sessions and then they run games right, right. so so the the workshop structure maps onto that we dungeon storm <laughs> Six questions taken from Jesse Bernico's uh, Dungeons and Dilemmas, oh, his, his zine, right, where, where he says, okay, uh, you can use the dungeon as a narrative framework or a, a, a moral framework. Uh, and so six questions. Somebody built this place, so we give him this map, right, which is a Dyson Logos map that he has made available, you know, free, you know, public domain. Um, we give him this map and we say, we, we ask him to and bring him up to groups to ask this question, answer these questions. Uh, what happened, you know, who built this place? Somebody built this place for a reason, why? Right, what emotion was involved? So who built this place and why? Uh, something bad happened here, what was it? After that bad thing happened, right, so it's no longer being used for its original purpose. Um, something, bad, something bad happened here, what was it? Um, and then what remained afterwards? Right, because something in the past remains. Then somebody new arrives, right? The place is not being used for its original purpose, so somebody new, who, are, who is that? New encounters old, what happens when, when they do? And what are the consequences, and how do they spill out and thus provide hooks for adventure, right? If you've got that, then you have the narrative, the backstory of this place for a location-based adventure, and you've authored some content, right? You, you've done that. And they do it in groups, and they have a great time doing it. We have to rein them in. Right, because we have a four-hour workshop, they want to spend two hours doing that. That's too much time. We want to we're, we try to get it to an hour, yeah. but we you break know. them out into like groups of five with what, like one coach per five people. So five people is our goal. And some right. groups would would just dungeon storm the whole time. That's all yeah, they, they could right because they're having fun. such a good time. Yeah, yeah, you know, but they're playing before they play. Um, Map straps, monsters, treasure is just the idea. Okay, now you're asking. Now you're thinking very specifically. Okay, you've got the backstory now. Let's talk about the now, the map. What are the what what environmental stimuli? What can you what sensory things can you say are here? How would you describe them? Right? What's what's going on there? Traps. What are the environmental dangers that are in this place? Not puzzles or traps that you know. Oh, I'm putting in a trap here, but what? The walls are crumbling. How might that be dangerous? Things of that kind. Monsters. Who's here? What do they want? Sort of things do they need? How will they interact with each other? And you know, what, what might they want from player characters? And then treasure. What things of value or interest might be here? I had this thing where I go through the minds of Moria, like during this thing, right? The treasure is that book, right? That Gimli finds and holds on to at the end of. Well, never mind. But but you can do minds of Moria maps onto this, right? Quick show of hands. How many of you? How many people want this to be uh, uh, water? want water to be here, and maybe some of this to be sunken. Yeah, I thought, yeah, we had some of that. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of that, right? Is it a lighthouse? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot, that was cool. There was one, so yeah. we, we like to give them fun names, like Scrooge McDuck's Tower, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and then finally, right, so once we've done all that, then we put them in the hot seat and they run it. We have a rules-like system that's basically 
advantage and disadvantage all the way down. So we call it we call the system RSD twenties. Roll some d20s because that's what you're doing, right? Just adding and subtracting depending upon. And then and that's it. That's the workshop. And uh, we tell them this, right? We tell them, okay, when you're playing, and we think this is a meta theory of game running. That means we think it is broadly applicable, right? It's not like any model of game running, any model of how to GM that that you know any advice that you get fits in here somehow. Like there are different ways of coming up with description. It's like like you describe, you draw upon your prep. Well, how you prep, that might be different depending upon what you're doing. But basically, you're doing these things. You're describing things so that everyone is in the same shared imagined space, in the same actual textual actual world, as uh, Grueling Cover says. You listen, uh, listening hard, paying attention, like active listening, reflexive listening, reincorporating, doing the things that um, give people agency and play because they're being heard. Uh, and then judge, and then we just use tweets, drama, karma, fortune, where the idea drama is you're using the logic of stories, karma, the in-fiction logic of what should happen based on who's stronger, faster, tougher, et cetera, or fortune, roll the bones and see what happens, right? Yeah, Melissa. Um, are these slides going to be available because I cannot read with the texture of the wallpaper? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll make them. Sure, of course. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, cool. so absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sorry. So, yeah, describe, listen, judge. All the stuff underneath it is just what you'd imagine would, would back this that This actually, up. you can download off the Bring Fire website. That's right. There's a whole blog post where we explain this at length. Yeah, yeah. At length. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, 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 so we tell them that, and we give them XP for doing it. This, this is the fucking beauty. This is so good. This, this thing, is so good. Right? Okay, so it's a metagame, right? It's actually a simulation of a role-playing game, not an actual role-playing game. Because you're a player, right? And your character is just an adjective and a noun. Your character is in a level, right? So you might be a brave warrior or a clumsy rogue. Um, uh, but you've got a player type that you get XP for, right, when you're a player. So you might be a combat monster, so you get XP when you um, uh, get into fights. You're a puzzle solver, you get XP for identifying and solving problems, et cetera, right? So that's when you're a player, right? So that's the meta of that, but it goes even one level more meta when you're the GM, when you're in the GM hot seat. So instead of taking XP for your player, uh, your player type, you take XP for doing Things related to describing, things related to listening, things related to judging. You're playing a role-playing game where the two classes are player and GM. Basically, mm -hmm. yes. And 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 so that's um, so the one thing that I think that does is call attention in play to the things that you could be doing as a GM and giving people, yeah. you know, people respond very positively to that. Yeah. Brennan, you had that experience, didn't you, as a GM coach? Yeah. <coughs> Bill, right. I'd love to jump in here for a second. Sure, go ahead. So I so um, so when we come upon this this concept of like the 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 system that incentivizes a play style if you're playing a player or like fulfilling these these imperatives of GMing, um, uh, we're talking about a sort of a pedagogical and practic practical method, right, of transferring knowledge, and this kind of is what what makes this. Like this is the this is the core of what I was looking for okay. when I was uh, like looking around at how people are teaching. Now I didn't have the ambition to teach people to GM uh, until this like 
and, you know, thing came up, but I still had opinions. So real opinions, because in my previous life, uh, as like a sort of a tech startup, I mean, I guess I'm still running a tech startup, but like, like in a big ass database company that made good and IPO'd and whatever, like I, my last gig was uh, running communications at the highest level of like a technology company and like being responsible for keynote presentations and the sort of the, the developers who do, who teach other developers to use the software tools and stuff, to teach them to, to do presentations or and do demos that weren't the kind of demo that, that, that these, so they're called um, uh, sales engineers, are used to doing where they like build stuff and talk interactively. It's a lot, much more like one-to-many. Right, and what I've known, and, and so, and I was also the you know editor of an engineering blog. Now all these things come together. When I look around the field, it's, there's this thing that's on the top of my shit list when it comes to teaching people information, which is context-free uh, uh, advice. Like just, hey, here's how you do it, and then uh, here's, and it's a shallow treatment, and it may be it may be accurate, but it doesn't help. Right, telling some of the advice is like, okay, so then you just. You sort of ask this question, then you answer it, and you move on to the next thing, and that's like part of it. It's like that misses the entire point of what someone needs to do to learn, which is to synthesize what you're telling them themselves. You don't learn things by being told something. You learn something by having that thought yourself as you apply it, right? That's actually how expertise builds, and this is something that I would see in uh, articles that are like, here's some good advice, or okay, but why did you make those choices? I'm going to need to, fit. No, no two situations are the same. All right, so I see this a lot in GMing advice on YouTube channels and everything. It's like, here's an I, here's a concept, you should do this. Okay, but the describe, listen, judge cycle that is forms the core of this workshop gives you 10 minutes to sit in the, in the hot seat, right? And then immediately as the as the hot seat shifts over to the next person, they're evaluating, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Because you're going to take experience. It's like the end of a, uh, like a force in the dark kind of like, uh, you know, or any one of those like systems where it's like, okay, uh, gig's over, take XP if you fulfilled your character's drives. You know, it's like you're evaluating this and with enough repetition and short bursts, right? It's like you can, you can see how you can even come up to your turn and be like, "Oh, wait! This time, I want to. I want to focus on listen. I want to do. I want to do that better. Here's here's the thing that I'm going to do." Okay, that's my okay. diatribe about like yeah, the, no, that's the good. contrast between like advice that doesn't really give you the opportunity to put it into practice or even understand how to like what one worked example is. Yeah, and so just notice how whatever we're talking about feeds into the notion of a community of practice, right? Because right. that that sort of how is how that works, uh, and so. Uh, don't worry about what they say. We'll, we'll, we'll um, this particular statements. We'll, we'll talk about what the questions were on the next slide. But I just want to make clear, I didn't want to do any data gathering because I thought it was the learning that was important. But we did a little bit of depth, right? But Avery convinced me, you know, no, we need to gather some data, and he was right. Um, so we, so we pre-tested with five little questions that had to do with, okay, rate your organi your organization skills, uh, your ability to create an engaging game system your pre preparation to respond, your responsiveness to uh, what players do during a game, creating story via role playing, and we ask a question about rules knowledge, right? So we ask those five questions. Um, and, and the responses that we got look something like this, right? Uh, on a scale of one to five, coming in, everything's, everything's nothing's higher than a three. Um, 
uh, 2.9 is the highest. Rules knowledge, interestingly, was the highest. People were most confident in their rules knowledge. Everything else lower than that, um, you know, somewhere in the twos. Coming out, very high, right? 3.8, 3.8, 3.4, right? Interesting, rules knowledge was the highest and is now the lowest in terms of what they thought, which made sense because we weren't teaching them rules, right? So we thought that it, the pattern of response made sense. This data is a little hard to sort of make sense of or see what's going on. So um, just sort of re-examined it, just looking at, okay, did they say they improved or not? Right? Did they say they improved or not? And when we, when we looked at that, then the pattern you know, is, is much clearer right, in terms of what's going on. The things, so 95%, 95% said, oh yeah, I improved in terms of my ability to create engaging sessions, like create engaging sessions, which we thought was phenomenal. And then uh, responding to players and creating story through role playing, again, pretty high in the 80s, which we thought great, that's what we were looking for, that's what we expected, something like that. Rules knowledge, only 37%, uh, 38% said you know, that it improved. Most said it didn't, right? 40 out of the 64 responses that we got said no, it didn't. Uh, which we expected, right? There was no array. So the thing that surprised us was that organization, like my organization abilities, which we thought wouldn't improve, right? Uh, right. We, had, we said, oh, okay, there's no way. But Avery was like, no, why are you even asking that question? I so literally was like, we can take that off. It'll just make it shorter. I was like, no, it'll help us. Yeah, yeah. It'll help yeah. us. And I'm, <laughs> both this and this, because it validates kind of that, oh, yeah, it did something, the thing that we thought it was doing. But, so, but a lot of people, more people, said that uh, they saw some improvement versus said that they didn't. And there was some sense we got from a person who's, who, you know how people will like make comments on these forums, right? So there was one comment that was something like, well, I didn't really learn organization, but I learned a way of thinking about games that was helpful, right? So we think the people who were saying, oh, uh, we saw improvement in organization, were thinking along those lines. Oh, right. I have a different orientation to right. thinking about the content of what I'm doing. Like right? They didn't learn an organizational methodology. What they learned was like how to think about preparation in, in a different a way. interesting streamlining way, probably. Yeah. So that's, so we were very encouraged by these results, right? Uh, as, as I think you would be, you would, right? You're like, oh, gee, it seemed to work. I think it's doing the thing. Right? <laughs> so, so, I mean, so that's the, the, the end of this. We, we, I, I, I tried to come up with like a set of concluding questions, like to think about what are we thinking about now? Well, it's how do we get people to think introspectively about what they're doing and how necessary is that, right? Because we do think it matters, right? The, the impetus for the workshop that Mel and I did was a podcast that we did where we basically listened to play scenes and mm -hmm. then talked about them and tried to do introspection about, well, what is this, what is this teaching us about our own play. Um, well, you know, how do we how do we create a GM Academy that does that does this, right? And then, um, what other thoughts do we have? So that's our talk. That's the form. I don't know how much time we have left, but the rest twenty minutes. Like we have twenty minutes. So, so I want to open the floor to questions and comments, yeah. concerns, discussion, anything that you think will help us, or you know, access to grind, anything like that. Yes, ma'am. Um. So the last um, survey. Oh, we sit over. You, so this is people rating their own abilities. Their own abilities, yeah. Did they? Uh, did you collect any information about 
like how important they felt these things to be? No. We we did we did we did a like an intake survey right but we don't have any way because uh, we did it anonymously well we did this and this was not anonymous I think we could actually the other one was anonymous we could yeah. potentially do some form of correlation yeah, we might, yeah there's some so we have we do have some data to that effect uh, you know that might, would might help us assess that because we did ask them on an intake survey oh what do you think is the most important thing like and there, there were some interesting results which didn't talk about today, but things like, oh, you know, like, oh, to what extent do, like, it seems like maybe, um, like, people with less experience or less knowledge um, may think that funny voices are more important than people with more knowledge, right? I mean, and I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but it was like that, the, the idea of enacting character roles seems more important the less experience that you have. I don't know whether that's true. We don't, like... What I mean we also, is, we also I said, saw we had a really clear uh, distinction between people who wanted to tell their stories. Yes. Right. That was another yeah. very clear. That's signal. the thing that, that seemed to be differentiated about experience. People That's like, right. oh, I'm in it to tell yeah, my when story. We were talking, yeah, yeah. Versus I'm in it to, like, have, enter, like have people tell like, their stories. Play or a game. <laughs> play a game. Like there, there was some difference, right, that emerged in terms of. Um, uh, in terms of uh, what people thought was important, what they thought the role was, uh, and and what they were interested in learning, right? Some of them were interested in running combat, making things go faster. Some were interested in telling their story and things like that. So the short answer to your question is, we have some data about that, but we don't have a good way of mapping I that data do. onto this data. I think the ones who filled out the intake yeah. Gave us their emails. Did so they? If we okay. Do get, if we, we might be able to do some correlation there. Right, but not everybody gave us email correct. address this. That's correct. We like it, it's not per, it won't be perfect, but we might be able to go that and, and, and stitch some of that together. Well, what I was curious, like the reason why I asked, is like, let's say, you know, the, the highest percentage of improvement is creating engaging sessions. Right. So what is actually people like that's not really important? That's yeah, sure. So yeah, I got better at doing that, but that was what I didn't really care about. I was just curious. Yeah, no, that's 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 a great question. Um, the like, the qualitative feedback that we got was was very enthusiastic, right? Because uh, we had a little debrief at the end of each session, and people were like, "Oh my God, this opened my eyes!" Right? Had a. Uh... Um, I, we haven't done. We we have a, uh, we have a, a free uh, like a text free form for. Uh, what are your mo what are we, in your view? What are the most important qualities of a good GM? We have we, I think we could actually pretty easily go through and categorize that we'll and assign to them that to buckets. Yeah. Um, but just anecdotally, I can tell you that like engaging, being engaging was super high up on the on the list of important things. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't actually think people necessarily didn't care about. I just wondered if there was like a, a big correlation not to people. Like, yeah, I mean, did people improve more. In that they, yeah, yeah, no, no, I think that's yeah. really it's a really interesting question that's to ask. I question. think that's a that's a very interesting question to ask. Yeah, we'll have to dig into that. Um, um, uh, yeah, we also have uh, details on what they most want to develop. Sorry, guys. No, no, no. I was um, next. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we have some. Yeah, we yeah we didn't do a we didn't do a systematic like the the pretest uh, the intake data we didn't do a systematic uh, a look at that. I think. So, we wound, you know, what we wound up doing is every time a form would come in, we'd email each other about it and be like, "Hey, look at this thing." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I remember doing some analyses. First, you follow repeated reasons, <laughs> right? Right. 
Uh, we have some numbers, uh, and we, we actually, this is a really good prompt, actually. I feel like we could go. Yeah, that's, that's something to follow up on, absolutely. We could definitely go further, and we're definitely evolve, actually, the sort of data, like, contiguity between the intake form and this sort of yeah, thing. We have yeah. some, we have some, two, this actually came off super well for our first big, uh, yes. <laughs> big attempt at it. Melissa and then Vincent. Yes. Um, I'm wondering if you got data on gender and cultural origin? We did, uh, we did get that on the intake form. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah not on this. Because like, this methodology I would use to teach men from the US. Oh, interesting. Um, Elaborate I, on that. If I were teaching women or other gender marginalized people, I would not use this. We had, I mean. It was about 50-50. It was about 50-50. That's interesting, we, we, we. I, I, I would dispute that with, I, I my gut says, there's no re there, we w that we could refute that with data, um, but um, but I do but that's not. Um, but when yeah. I look through the when I look through the results, we actually we had a lot of women. We didn't make the uh, gender a, uh, a like a radio button thing. Okay. We were just like, how do you describe your gender? Uh, so that we you know so that's another yeah. that's another sort we of, didn't of have a lot of step for us to classify. But yeah, differentiation. We had a lot of gender. Yeah, yeah. Difference. some of that is because we were running it. Yeah, Gen Con is like, <laughs> yeah, maybe 40, 60 uh, sort of gotcha. female presenting to male. Vincent and then Tim. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, you had more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like that was yeah carry on, carry on. Yeah, yeah. Um, how much are you looking into the pedagogy of hosting, uh, and especially like classic oh. hosting of dinner parties yeah, and that good, sort of thing? Yeah, good and, question. And facilitation of improv groups. Oh, love it. Yeah. Like, are you including any of that? How does this we, you know, um, that is a concern that people have, right? They want to know how do I get a group together? How do I sustain yeah, it? We, yeah, this yeah, is, yeah, we yeah. didn't. This is not this, right? But that's definitely something that emerged yeah. as a concern, a thing that people are interested in, and that we're interested in tackling or figuring out. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, you know, this actually is a really freaking great opportunity for us to plug the program, like, like straight up, like uh, what is uh, what's a um, ulterior motive, right? Like. Uh, I want to recruit people to coach these sessions because we want to grow. Like we did one really good conversion of this, and we think we moved the needle. We help, we think we got people who, you know, from diverse backgrounds except racial, um, to uh, to get further down the road of running a game, and we want to sort of do that more. Um, and so we're looking to sort of land and expand maybe like other cons, retailers, and we'll, you know, we need to get coaches, but also we need input and we're, oh, hey, dude. Um, that's a CTO of Bring Fire, my co-founder over there, Josh. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> no, but I call it. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, why am I uh, going off on this? Um, questions about, uh, about oh, diversity. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're really, no, we're really interested in uh, trying to expand this program and and figure out other ways of incorporating, just as you say, other pedagogy and other sort of areas. Yeah. No. No. Okay. Great. So we have 15 minutes left. Yeah, 15 minutes. Okay. Good. Um, Vincent, you were next. Yeah. No, you answered it. I did. Tim. Nice. Oh shit. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask your own question back at you. Great. And then with a clarification, with a clarification of why I'm asking. What gives us the right or the nerve to teach how to be a GM? Yes, oh, good question. Um, and then, with that I'm saying, like, <coughs> what does it mean to be a good GM now? We have the Matt Mercer effect, you have all these ideas. Amazing. And are you creating 
um, if you're if you're if you were perfect, uh, are you creating? If you're successful, are you creating a homogenization of what it means to play games? That's a terrific question. Thank you. I think Bill's writing a blog post about that right now. Right. I, you know, so I mean, like, I, okay. Um, Everyone's got opinions about what the right way to run games is, right? Everyone, everyone knows that. Um, I think that what, what gives us the right is the attempt to be systematic in our like, survey of what practices are out there and an attempt to find common ground with some idea that there are variations and there are different ways of doing it, but looking for the core, right? Looking for a core. And, and to the extent that, oh, uh, the idea that there's a core of role playing is something that you dispute, right? You're like, oh, there's no core. There's no core. Um, then that's a position that you'd have to take for you to say, well, you you can't find a core, right? I mean, and we could say, well, we don't have it yet, but we can strive for it. And in sharing that with others, that will get them to be more introspective about their own practices, which which is what we think the answer is, right? We think that pointing people at their own practice to make it work for them and to understand that uh, there are different ways of doing it and they should experiment with those ways of doing it, like that feels more right than saying, oh, yeah. there's a way of doing it and you should just do it this way, even if that's what in your heart of hearts you believe. I'd like to address that too. Sure, yeah, yeah, wait, yeah. Tim had a follow up or yeah, go ahead. For sure, yeah, I'd love to, yeah. So um, th this came to me while I was kind of like looking over my research in preparation for this panel a little bit. Um, and, uh, and I wonder how controversial a statement this might be. Let's, like, how many people agree with this statement? There is a wide gulf, really distinct separation between GMs who learn to GM once and GMs who are all, always learning to GM. Would, how, many people would, how many people would agree with that? I, anyone else? Okay, so basically, so basically, um, there, so I feel like I have encountered a lot of people. This is actually I don't have data on this is anecdotal. So like this is that's why I'm sort of like looking for a feedback from everybody. But like, um, I've encountered a lot of people who have picked up their practice from the person who ran the game for them and maybe a couple of other people, and that's all they've ever done. And they don't like they don't they don't consider that a like an ongoing lifelong hobby of becoming a better GM. They sort of like, or a different GM, or trying other things. They just do that thing, that's what they think GMing is. And then there's a very different set of people that I find who are on forums and coming to workshops. Oh, incredible, incredible result. I did not believe that anyone who was really actually an experienced GM would come to our oh, yes, they did. workshop. Half of them. Almost, I think. Yeah, we aimed it at novices. Described it. Yeah, being we described novices. it very clearly. It was very obvious, oh. and the people uh, and we when we when we went over the data, we classified them, and we we're like, I think we have three categories. It's really only important to talk about two: the newbies, nervous newbies, and the skill seekers. These people, they see stuff about being a GM, and they're hungry for it. They want to learn. They want to like expand their. They they want to expand. And so, uh, for from my perspective, I'm not trying to teach people to GM. I'm trying to pe teach people to be mindful about their own journey, right? To give them tools to introspect their own practice, right? That's what this. That's why DLJ is not. It's not prescriptive. It's a lens. 
right? It helps you, like, I mean, yes, it's opinionated. We, we've decided that we can... Like, people we don't can, like judge. Right. People are like, oh, don't call it judge. That's so judgy. You're like, and what I'm else do you do? If you're judge not doing says, that, you're not a game master. Judge, I says. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly. I says judge, and judge it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I, so what, I, what I think we're telling people is not like, this is how to GM. What we're telling people is, we have studied this scientifically. This is what That's it is. That's a little is. strong. That's yeah. a little strong. <laughs> okay, I want to make that. I want to be able to make that claim at, at some point, right? Well, we've we've done we've analyzed some data. Look, so the, that science, that science. Look, to the extent that social science exists, right? We should, in theory, you should be able to test this hypothesis sure, more sure, and more and sure, more sure, and be like, sure, you know what? We can't find any things. I, you can't find any examples of GMing that aren't DLJ, right? Sure. Like that's, that's a theory. Yeah, that's exactly. a th it all it takes is one disconfirming example. Correct, correct, fact. correct, exactly. Anyway. So come at me. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tim, did you have a follow-up? Well, the follow-up is uh, is that as soon as you say things like tech company, I, uh, there's a, I like Dungeons and Dragons is moving toward a model which is going to be online and happens within a very conscripted set of tools. Boo. And that's going to move toward very specific ways. Yes. No, no. I mean. Uh, and, and there's absolutely, you create a situation where I absolutely cannot say, oh, yeah, ex learning to play in new ways is bad. I, you know, that's unarguable. Of course, that's true. But the, ultimately, the outcome of how is this encapsulated as a thing, what's the models it puts out, and what box is it put in. Sure, sure. Um, no. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, I can't. Let me respond to that a little bit. I mean, I think that one of the, one of the uh, comments that I heard uh, from a, uh, an, indie, an independent publisher, an independent designer at Gen Con was, oh, the thing that I'm excited about is how this, the software will serve as kind of like a, a, a publishing stream, right? That sort of enables access to all these different tech tools that are out there um, that would otherwise be too prohibitive for a small company to develop, right? So there's some sense of, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like collectiveness that's, uh, that. Uh, Cloud? Yeah, like, uh, well, you know, the, the collectivity of the, production tools, if everything's moving towards a software model, then we need software models for like the little guys? I don't know, something like that, right? So, I mean, I understand your concern, and it is a concern, right? I just want people to sit around a table and fucking play the way we played when I was 14. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Around a pool table in the basement. Um, like, that's my dream, but that, right. uh, I'm, uh, I'm an old man, Tim. <laughs> right? People don't play like that, that no more. I would say that um, uh, the, the process of um, the process of making movies that has that starts with a screenplay is not worse off because there's now screenwriting software, sure. right? Screenwriting software supports the sort of pro it, it, it sorts the process of the production of a movie, right? It's it's technology that create that supports a creative endeavor, um, and uh, that's actually one of the sort of inspirations that I follow, which is that like we're you know the the goal is not to like transform what gaming is um it's to it's to it's gotcha. to uh, augment like what you're already doing let's move forward yeah, rob totally, you had a yeah, question yeah, totally. so, i was just curious yeah. um i i uh, of all on a gut level i absolutely agree with your hypothesis the stage right is the big barrier i'm curious how you tie these metrics well, we're trying. Yeah, we're we're trying. We're we're we they, we <laughs> we 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 have been begging for input from folks. Tell us when you run a game. Tell us when you run a game. We're we're not hearing a lot. Um, we're we're waiting for that to come in. Um, and we'll and, and that's a good question in terms of, okay, 
the next round of this, how do we, uh, like, how do we figure that out, right? How do we, yeah. how do we get that kind of input? You know, like, yeah. like just a, I don't know whether it's a button on a web page yeah. or something like that. Like, you know, hit this and yeah. we send you a prize when yeah, you yeah. run again. You know, like, yeah. To give you hard numbers, know. we have after running this workshop four times at Gen Con, a couple of other places, we have about. 60, 70 people who signed up for the mailing list because we told them that we'd really like to kind of like, we like our mission is not accomplished until if you came here to run it, to learn how to run a game or to get closer to it, uh, you know, and you go out and you, you still haven't run a game, our mission is not accomplished. We, we're not, we're not finished until we can help you actually get to that point. Um, and we want to like, we want to take yeah, that yeah. responsibility seriously, but uh, so far, uh, nobody's answered our email, <laughs> but you know, you know how email goes, right? So it's right. going to take a little while, I think, before we can uh, sort of, sort of leverage any engagement. Yeah, yeah. But 50% of the people who get our email that was like, "Hey, what do you think we should do next?" We're thinking of doing an online lab. 50% of them opened it, so that's a pretty good number. And we think that we we think that we'll get. We'll get, we'll get something. something. We don't have anything about it to, again. We, we don't have any good answers yet. I had, the, I, had the, I had the idea that, oh, well, maybe what we would do is is we would, like, have a first-time GM mini-con, like, maybe at Gen Con or something like that. Like, oh, we'll have a, a stream of that. The logistics of that are, uh, we, we decided not to engage with that at this time. Yeah. But that would be the kind of thing that maybe would push that needle a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, um, all we can do. At this point, all we can do is hope, right? Yeah. Put it out there, broadcast it, yeah. and let things return to us in their own time. It's five of, so, uh, okay, oh, thanks. nice, in stereo. <laughs> Another question? Yes, sir. You mentioned uh, three types of participants, um, like curious new players, skill seekers. What was the third one? I didn't, I was like, we don't really have to talk about them. They're, uh, it's what not very nice. remedial cases. Uh, they like, they have a sense, they, 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 they come in presenting as skill seekers, but we believe that, you know, just, this is purely like, this is purely just our subjective, like, judgment that, basically they're, <laughs> yeah, like we, we, like, we just feel like they, that they have a sense that something's not working and that's sort of motivating their participation. And I don't know how important it is uh, to even have that category, or whether it's just it's purely skill, I mean, it's like shitty of, of me to even right. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? just don't even. Yeah. Right. Other things. Yeah. Um, uh, well, if there's no further questions, uh, that's everything that we wanted to share with you. We look forward to continuing this conversation uh, as uh, you know in a more informal setting. Um, but uh, thanks very much for your time, and I'm going to.